Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams is right. Williams going to throw. One-on-one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's going to take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Connor Barth. For the possible win. Snap. Spot. Kick away. High enough. Long enough. It's good! It's good! Carolina has won the game on a 42-yard field goal by freshman Connor Good gosh, dirty. This is the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's your host, Anthony Pagnata, with you guys as always. And today, we are back on the 2024 recruiting trail to talk a little bit more about the commitments of Jordan Ship and Malcolm Ziegler. We'll also talk a little bit more about the decommitment of Carlos Mitchell Jr. What does that mean for the Tar Heels defensive back class as a whole? What does it mean for the class? Uh, what, what is Carolina uh, maybe trying to do now that they have uh, another scholarship available in the class? Um, so we're going to talk about all of that. We're also going to take a look at the class as a whole. It was suggested to us by a listener. Um, you know, why not go back and sort of reset some things? Uh, you know, tell us who's in the class. Tell us, you know, some reasons to be optimistic about this class. So we're going to sort of go back and reset everything uh, that the Tar Heels have in this class, kind of get you caught up on where the Tar Heels stand as they enter a stretch here where their three remaining targets are set to make their commitments exactly over the next uh, few over the next month. Um, as Javarius Green, he moved his commitment, of course, back a month from July 18th to August 18th. And then you've got uh, Alex Taylor, who is scheduled to commit on July 29th. And now Jonathan Paylor, he has his commitment date uh, that is set. So stick around 
find out when that is. And we'll, of course, talk about uh, where Carolina sort of stands with those three guys and what we ultimately think happens for Carolina as they come down the stretch in those three recruitments. So a ton of stuff to get to here on this edition of the podcast. But uh, Zach Hubbard is, of course, here with us, our recruiting analyst here on the Heel Tough Blog podcast. And Zach, you know, the Tar Heels, again, this this was the week that we were kind of waiting for for Carolina. Um, you know, they get him on back to back days over the weekend, Friday and Saturday, uh, or excuse me, Sunday and Monday. I I don't know what I I am so off with the dates at this point. Um, there were so many that rolled in. Uh, Friday and Saturday actually saw two guys uh, that committed elsewhere, uh, but Sunday and Monday much more successful for the Tar Heels, and so. They end up landing Jordan Ship first on Sunday and follow that with Malcolm Ziegler. And Zach, we, you know, first of all, with Jordan Ship, that was a guy that for a while there, we did not think Carolina really had much of a shot to land. We kind of said to ourselves, look, he's really trending towards Michigan. Why would he not? He has two teammates that are committed there. So it made a lot of sense if he would have committed there. But the Tar Heels made a late push for him. They end up getting his commitment. They're first inside the top 15 in the state in this class. And then they follow it up the next day on Monday, Zach, with a commitment from the number seven overall prospect in the state, their first top 10 commit of the class uh, in the state. So this feels pretty good for a Tar Heel class right, that we had talked about coming into the month of June was really struggling in the home state. Yeah, absolutely. Like you mentioned, I mean, this has been a point of conversation really throughout um, this recruiting cycle is when is North Carolina really going to make their mark as far as, you know, the in-state crop uh, sort of relate. So, you know, it, it's good to see some of these top 10, top 15 guys choose the Tar Heels. And, you know, this is what fans have been waiting for really this whole cycle. Yeah. And now, um, you know, the, the Tar Heels really in a good spot. And let's let's sort of break these guys down a little bit more. Let's start with Jordan Schiff, four-star wide receiver, a guy that's, you know, kind of on the brink of being a four-star. Um, but I think, you know, from watching him personally, guy that looks the part of a four-star prospect. Um, as I mentioned, a, a guy that ranks inside of the top 15 in the state, um, according to 24-7 sports composite rankings. Um, and Zach, you know, th this is really a good fit, I think, alongside of Keenan Jackson, who they brought in in this class earlier uh in the month this this just makes a, a lot of sense for carolina um you know and 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 really i i think for him as well you know michigan is is a class that was already kind of loaded up on wide receiver um wide receiver commitments and now he's going to be the number two guy in this class really i mean the highest rated commit in this class and Really one of the more complete receivers uh, that you see on film, uh, you know, in terms of the impact that he has on the game, Zach. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you look at what he brings to it, really when you look at, you know, how North Carolina uh, recruits and sort of structures the wide receiver position as a whole, they really have focused on basically having a different body type uh, at each of the three positions. They like to have a slot 
you know, shorter sort of shifty guys. Um, they like to have these big, tall, long receivers that can be, you know, possession guys that can, you know, catch these 50-50 balls. And then they have sort of this third grouping of what tend to be outside receivers that uh, I would classify as sort of do everything guys. Maybe they are, you know, your go route guys. Like you think maybe a Deami Brown is sort of the, you know, the pinnacle example as far as recent, you know, guys in this sort of mold look like of, you know, a guy that's going to street down the field on a nine route, just get it and go a guy that's, you know, going to make the catch intermediate really, you know, do whatever you need him to sort of as a, you know, an in-between and, and, and sort of an all around guy. And I think when you look at his film, um, not necessarily to an Adiami Brown level, but certainly to a very good level. That that's what Jordan Ship gives you to some degree. And there's similar sizes coming out of high school. Uh, Ship listed six two, about one eighty three. Um, so you know, not the huge six three six four guys, but also not you know the five ten five eleven uh, that you'd see from you know more of your slot guys like a Daz Newsom or a Josh Downs, just to name some names that fans would be familiar with but he's a guy that you can do a lot of stuff with you'll see him you know make contested catches in the red zone you'll see him streaking down the field if need be if he gets a free release you'll see him on you know screens you'll see him catching the ball intermediate over the middle of the field uh, and one thing that I noticed in particular that I do want to mention about him um, and this is no slight you know to his quarterback of course, but uh, there are quite a number of balls in his highlight film and his subtle tape that, you know, look to be a little bit underthrown or, you know, look to sort of sit in the air for a minute where he has to adjust his body, adjust his positioning and make a play on the football. And that's something I really like to see. I mean, when you see a guy sort of make that extra effort and show his ability to create as a wide receiver, as opposed to just, you know, being in position and then catching the football, I think that that you know, really stands out as a, as a positive, you know, indicator in his favor as a, as a player. So, you know, like you mentioned, looking at sort of how this wide receiver class is going thus far, uh, they've sort of gotten their big body guy in Keenan Jackson. They're, you know, looking at some, you know, some guys that may fit into that slot role, maybe a Javarius Green, maybe a Jonathan Paler. Um, so it's sort of that third, do everything option i think ship really fits that role well yeah a little subtle shot there from uh zach hubbard bringing a little bit of heat here saying that the five-star Jaden davis under throwing a few balls i like it i like it um but yeah yeah i mean i think yeah i i think you're right i mean there were definitely some moments i, I will say this the thing that stood out the most to me about him was just, I mean, anything that is thrown his way, this dude catches. And you love to have those types of guys in your room because there are going to be guys that are sort of these big play threats, sort of these jump ball 50-50 receivers. Um, and and for the most part, you know, the, they, they are going to make plays. But those are the types of guys that you see that can be hit and miss at times. They can disappear at times. This is the type of player where if you throw him the football, he he's going to make something happen. And, you know, I that that's something that Carolina has liked. They've really had somebody in that room that they can rely on each and every year. Now, finding that guy this year, you know, it, it's it's 
definitely something that they've got to do. I mean, I think Nate McCollum, the transfer from Georgia Tech, probably fits that role. Kobe Pesor showed it a little bit at the end of last year. But in the future, you know, nothing is guaranteed. You don't know who's going to be a part of this room. So for Carolina to get a guy like that, I think is very encouraging. And then I also liked what he did after the catch. I think you you really do want some of those guys in this room that – can make plays consistently after the catch with the ball in their hand. Um, we saw how effective that was for Carolina back in 2021 with Josh Downs when there were times where Sam Howell simply had to get the ball out to his best receiver as quickly as he could, and it was on Josh Josh Downs to make plays. So, look, there's no guarantee that Carolina's offensive line is going to be better. I want to believe that they are under Randy Clements, but I mean, heck, at this point, we don't even know if Randy Clements will be here next year. They could be on their fourth offensive line coach in as many years. Um, So, you know, for them, I I think getting a playmaker like this that can make things happen in space after, he, you know, with the football in his hands, I, I, I think that's something that's very encouraging. And when I say complete receiver, The other thing that really jumped out to me was the fact that this guy affects the game at all three levels. You don't see it as much in the deep game. You don't see him run a lot of go routes or post routes, but it's there, and he utilizes it when he has to. He really makes a living in the intermediate game. And the thing that when you go back to what what made – Drake May so successful both at the high school level, at the college level so far, is the work that he does in the intermediate passing game. And I think that's something that you're going to see Carolina want to continue. We saw that was where Sam Howell thrived best as well, although you could argue the deep passing game uh, was what really put him over the top. But still, to have a guy that can really go to work in that area, those 10 to 15-yard routes, is so important. And then that ability after the catch really shows up in some of those short routes that he runs. So that that's something that Carolina needed in this class. Keenan Jackson, he's a guy that, you know, really thrives more in that intermediate to deep passing game um, and, and really thrives on, on some of those deep ball catches uh, or some of those uh, 50-50 ball catches, I should say. Um, so I, I, I think this pairs well with what Carolina already has in the class. And then they go and get Malcolm Ziegler. And, and, and Zach, this was the one that I said coming into the month was the most important, or well, coming into the month of June, was the most important player that Carolina was going to have on campus. I, I felt like this one was absolutely crucial for this staff to lock up. I know South Carolina was in this in, in the hunt for him. Notre Dame made a late push for him, but it really felt like this was one that Carolina had to have in this class. And now he becomes the headliner and gives them a piece in the defensive backfield that they sorely needed. They have three commitments already in the defensive backfield or had three commitments already uh, in the defensive backfield before this, when you take away the, the decommitment from Carlos Mitchell Jr., but this one, Zach, was really what this team needed. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first and foremost, as we mentioned sort of at the top, I mean, just getting a guy of his caliber from in the state, it's been a priority for this staff and this program 
you know, since Mac returned, it, it's one of the biggest things that he mentioned in part of their recruiting strategy was to recruit the state. It's something we mention uh, just about every show, just because of how important, how central it is to the identity of this program, of their, you know, of their goals or their purposes of having their team, you know, sort of be a, a place for North Carolina and its best football players to come. So that was, you know, a huge component in and of itself. Uh, just speaking from a positional standpoint, obviously North Carolina has gotten, you know, a number of defensive back commits, like you mentioned in this class, but that's a position that they are continuing to look to improve at, uh, whether it be through high school or through the portal. I, I don't think that, you know, I'm saying anything terribly surprising to Carolina fans to say that, you know, the defensive backfield is a place that they are still looking to improve at, whether that be, you know, recruiting development production what have you you know that's something that was an issue this past fall and it's been an issue you know for several years now and one that they continue to look to improve so um i I think that getting another guy this caliber at his position it's key we sort of discussed it a little bit last week plays a little bit of that uh free safety role or probably projects as that in this class of sort of that guy that that covers deep has really really good coverage skills and uh, shows it, you know, in film, I think had six INTs last year to go with six pass breakups. So really has, you know, a good nose for the football, which anytime we discuss defensive backs, that's one of the main things that we like to discuss is how are you as this individual player affecting the football when it comes your way. So that's certainly good to see. So, you know, it's just another guy, sort of another piece in your, in the puzzle for you to try to figure out how are you going to, revamp this defensive backfield you had a number of guys leave via the transfer portal you had some guys come in via the transfer portal but you have to figure out how you're going to get that core of main guys that you recruit and develop and i think that you know getting another guy getting another high caliber guy another four-star guy top 500 whatever metric you want to use i think that's absolutely huge for this defensive backfield moving forward yeah and it's another versatile guy now the one thing that they are going to have to do that the staff is going to have to take on here is you've now got three guys in that defensive backfield that you've recruited in this class that don't necessarily have a specific position you could play them in multiple spots because they played multiple spots in high school um, you know, a guy that's been committed for a while, Jaden Patterson, he could play nickel corner or safety. Um, we, we've talked about Jalen Thompson. I think personally, he probably fits a little bit better at corner. That's where he played this past year at the high school level. And I thought he played better there than he played at safety. And then you've got Malcolm Ziegler who played a good amount of corner this past year for Fuquay Verina high school and could play more of that again this year, but also played a decent amount of snaps for them at safety. I think with, with Ziegler, you know, clearly best in, in, in that group. I think he's the best overall prospect. Like he he's rated the way that he should be. He, he's a guy that's just outside of the top 200, according to 24 seven sports composite rankings. I think there's a, a chance that by the end, especially if he has a big senior year, he could jump inside of that top 200. This dude 
is the real freaking deal. I mean, the speed is unbelievable. Four, three, eight, 40 time. It shows up on film. He's everywhere. His closing speed is insane. Um, and it really, you know, allows him when he's in one-on-one coverage, he's not going to get beat very often because even if he does, he closes the gap so quickly uh, that, you know, he's still able to make plays on the football. Um, if he, if he's playing at safety, you know, he's a guy that is able to, you know, react quickly and you see him breaking on the football, which allows him to either make a play, whether that's a pass deflection and interception or, um, you know, even using his body to break up passes, laying some big hits across the middle. You saw that frequently on his tape. And that's the thing I like the most. And that's why I think he should, pro- I, I, I would like to see him at that free safety spot. Is Carolina is looking for a guy at that free safety spot that not only can play the football, not only is good in one-on-one coverage, um, which, I mean, again, we saw the safeties put in those situations so often this past year, um, but also, you know, a guy that uh, can, can can lay a hit across the middle of the field. Um, they don't have those physical guys. We've talked about physicality on the defensive side of the football. Now, the one thing with him that I think is, is worth watching is – you know, you don't see a lot on his junior film, at least, of him coming up into the box and making plays in the run game. You don't really see what exactly he is as a tackler. The Torials have to tackle better on the back end of their defense. There's no way around that. We've been saying that for years. So that's the one area that I think you've got to sort of watch with him. But everything else really shows me a free safety. And I just don't know if any of the other guys, I think Jaden Patterson might be the other guy that you would look at and think maybe he could be a safety for you. But I think ideally Carolina would like to probably have Ziegler play the safety spot for them moving forward. Um, and, and I, you know, I think, you know, you go back and w- when I watch him, I see a little bit of Jaquarius Conley to his game. And I, I think, you know, we, before the injury, I think we all thought Jaquarius Conley was a guy that would have been uh, a, a four-year starter for Carolina in their secondary, um, a big part of this group moving forward. Um, but now, you know, of course, he, he entered the transfer portal and has moved on. I, I still feel like Carolina is, you know, they, they're looking for a guy that is dynamic at free safety that they've been missing since Miles Dorn. And this could finally be that dude. Now, I mentioned earlier uh, a couple of times that Carlos Mitchell Jr. did decommit from the class. So this means Carolina, they lose a guy that was expected to be a nickel corner, three-star prospect out of the state of Florida. And look, there were a lot, you know, there were some things to like about him. I thought a guy that provided pretty good upside. But, Zach, I think, honestly, this is really just a scholarship casualty, a guy that, you know, Carolina is trying to make sure they have space for Alex Taylor, Um, maybe another one of those guys. We've seen that there are some rumors that Carolina, you know, could be potentially willing to take four wide receivers in this class. I think that's the max that they would take. Um, But I I think this lines up with them really, honestly – choosing to go with four defensive backs in the class and choosing Malcolm Ziegler over Carlos Mitchell Jr. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you look at how scholarships are being distributed thus far, generally we see North Carolina classes top out at the 21 to 23 range right now with his decommitment. So not including Mitchell at all. They're already at 24, obviously in on a number of guys. Really, basically, they're down to the wide receiver position in terms of positions that they are still actively recruiting spots for at this point. So they will more likely than not at least add one more guy to 25. I'm sure that they would like to save some spots for the transfer portal as well. I don't know how many, but some presumably. So yeah, I mean, spots are definitely tight. They have to be as far as this class is concerned. Um, And I mean, when you look just in terms of the defensive backfield overall, like you mentioned, I mean, they've got a number of guys here that are committed. I mean, you look at, you know, Khalil Conley could play defensive back. Jaden Patterson, Jalen Thompson, guys that we mentioned, Tyshawn White, Malcolm Ziegler, Zion Ferguson, a lot of those guys being recent commits. So, you know, you've got a number of guys in your class that either firmly or potentially project as defensive back, whether that be corner safety, whatever. That's a huge, you know, defensive back call in one class. That's a lot of bodies there. Mm -hmm. So in terms of, how that goes do i think that they you know told him to look elsewhere i don't necessarily think that per se do i think it's probably the most accurate that he may have wanted to look around and they're more than happy if he wants to look around i think that's probably the most accurate case and that's just how you know this staff has done business of you know if if you want to commit and they want you they'll accept your commit if you want to leave you can leave and they'll go find you know someone else to fill that spot as you know this staff and this program has shown you know time and time again they're not slouches in the recruiting game i don't feel even with however you know sort of a a a downslide uh, a relative downslide i should say that we've seen in recruiting this year they're still in on numerous guys it's not like that they're going to strike out on everyone they're going to get you know a solid number 25 26 more likely than not uh plus some portal guys presumably after the season so I think that this is a win-win, you know, for all parties involved. Yeah, I, I think you're right about that. And um, it sort of leads us into the breakdown of uh, the class that Carolina has so far. And you mentioned it, you know, I, I, I was talking about the four guys and it's really, you know, the, the guys that are extremely versatile, um, you know, Zion Ferguson, Tyshawn White, I, I, I actually – you know, kind of left uh, Tyshawn White out of there as guys that are kind of locked into their positions. So, I mean, those two, I I think you know where they're going to play. Zion Ferguson going to play outside corner, Carolina. You know, that's what they recruited him for. He fits the zone corner spot pretty perfectly. Tyshawn White in the box safety um, sort of fits that role. I, I mentioned, you know, when we were talking about him, very similar to what Donnie Miles did here for Gene Chizik the first time that Gene Chizik was in Chapel Hill. But everybody else, yeah, there there is some versatility to just about everybody else. So that's five guys in that room. And Zach, that doesn't even count Khalil Conley, who is the true definition of an athlete. We really do not have any idea exactly where they're going to play him. I would have told you safety when I first watched him. But the thing is, is that he he's a guy that has the ability to play nickel corner. Um, you know, his sideline to sideline ability, the way he likes to hit guys. 
I mean, you never really know if he puts on enough weight, he could potentially be looked at as a linebacker. I mean, there's so many different things that they can do with him. So this class pretty stacked in the defensive backfield and really starting to address the need for bodies, the need for uh, talent in that room. I think the biggest thing that they're doing there and really what this class is showing to this point, Zach, at that position is that they are simply just trying to throw as much as they can at the wall and see what sticks for a group that really right now is the biggest question mark on this team heading into this season. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, if you just look at where the roster is going to be overall, um, they had a lot of upperclassmen coming on this team. They went to the portal and got a number of upperclassmen to add to those, you know, ranks as depth. So there are minimal, if any, sophomores, freshmen, obviously some with the class previously, but, you know, they're going to, they are more likely than not. I will say that they're more likely than not to lose just about as many guys as they're going to bring in um, to graduation, to guys, you know, potentially testing their hand at the professional route what have you. So I, I don't think it's entirely out of the question that they want to bring in this number. It is a lot just numerically, of course. And, you know, I, I have to agree. It does feel like that they're sort of taking, you know, guys that they can and seeing what fits. But I mean, we've, we've seen sort of, you know, continued efforts to try to figure things out uh, in terms of this defensive back uh, spot they've recruited numerous uh blue chip prospects whether you know in your estimation that be four and five star guys or top 500 whatever metric is your preference they've gotten those guys in here in previous years and you know a number of those guys have transferred out or have not you know lived up to that billing thus far they've had a coaching change at the position numerous coaching changes in terms of both quarterback and safety coach so you know it it, it is a position on the football field right now that is in a lot of flux um, I, I believe they brought in, you know, four, uh, three to four transfers at the position. Um, so trying to figure that out, mm -hmm. they've lost guys throwing things against the wall and seeing what sticks is kind of, it seems the most fitting to be perfectly honest with you. And maybe that's not a comfort to everyone as it relates to the position, but that's just sort of how it is right now is to see what you can get. So you know, I, I think that they are being proactive. They're trying to preempt, you know, an exodus after this season and fill in those bodies, as we've discussed previously. I think that they want to be a little bit more developmental. I think that the staff has sort of self-reflected and, and sort of, you know, done different things here and there to improve on areas that they have had issues in, whether that be development or performance or what have you. And um you know, as we've mentioned before, this class is just a little bit different than it's been the past few years. And so, you know, the, the the focus, how you go about constructing your roster moving forward, how you go about sort of maintaining, you know, the best football team that you can, I think that changes. And I think that, you know, really the defensive back position is the position that's going to have the most guys this year perfectly encapsulates all of that here for not only this class, but this team and then the program sort of moving forward.
Yeah, and and it's one of the reasons that I'm probably the most excited about this class is because that's been the unit that I've hammered home needs to sort of get a facelift. They need to start bringing in some new people, and frankly, they're they're they need to start getting guys that fit the coaching staff that is there now. These guys sort of fit. I mentioned, you know, when with, with Tyshawn White, he feels like Donnie Miles. Well, Donnie Miles was a Charlton Warren guy. So I, I feel like that that is what Carolina is looking for. Guys that fit what the coaching staff, especially the guys that were brought in last year, the guys that are brought in this year. You can see Jason Jones being aggressive already in that room. I think that's what they're trying to do. Well, let's take a look at the rest of the class as we run through here. This was suggested to us by one of our listeners, James Cummings, uh, who is a guy that um, is very, you know, very uh, locked in on recruiting, uh, loves the lo- loves recruiting and everything like that. Me and him always uh, go back and forth. And he suggested, you know, why don't we go through and sort of reset and show people where Carolina is at in this class? Because they've got so many commitments. There's honestly guys that may have slipped your mind. I got to be honest. Khalil Conley, I mean, it's so far back. He's a guy that doesn't really have a position. I forgot until I looked at the list that he's a guy that is projected to be a part of that defensive back group. So, you know, you look, we'll start a quarterback, of course. We know the guy that's there, Michael Merdinger. We talked a lot about him around uh, the time of his commitment back in early May. Uh, Comes from the state of Florida. Um, A guy that, you know, is ranked outside of the top 1,000 still at this point. Um, But, you know, you wouldn't expect that to change. But still, a guy that a lot of people were raving about on the uh, camp circuit here in the spring. And someone that I feel like has some nice upside, Zach, in a room where, you know, Carolina, for the most part, is in pretty good shape. We didn't talk about it extensively, me and you, but... Look, now, I think the the other thing about this commitment, it is in a completely different light than we talked about it even back in May with the fact that you now have 2025 four-star quarterback Bryce Baker already committed behind him. So this this looks like a, a much better risk for the Tar Heels now with Baker already coming in in 25. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we do have to mention, of course, there were other guys that they were in on first and foremost that they did miss out on. I I feel that that's probably, you know, it's fair to at least mention that. So this is a pickup that was, you know, a a high risk, high reward just due to a lack of information on him. But I I think with what you mentioned with, you know, a, a good group right now or the feeling that it's a good group. Uh, really with the main two being Connor Harrell and Tad Hudson sort of, you know, here in the spring, both a little bit jockeying for that backup quarterback spot behind Drake May. Uh, but you feel that you're in pretty good hands, you know, after this year when Drake May presumably moves on to the professional level. And you've also got, as you mentioned, the guy in 2025, Bryce Baker, already committed. So, you know, you have a, what I would say is a, a insurance, you know, 
you have insurance already sort of built in as it stands to the quarterback position with feeling good about what you got in 23, feeling good about what you have in 25, even though that is a long way away. And maybe, you know, if you have to take a risk in 24, there there's less of a reliance on who this player is. And if he turns out to be great, well, that's even all the sweeter. So, you know, I am intrigued. I'm very much looking forward to seeing, you know, what he looks like as presumably a starter this fall mm-hmm. I, I want to see what that looks like I, I i've really enjoyed the tools i've really enjoyed the very little that i've seen it's just a question of what's it going to actually look like you know when the lights are bright on friday night so i am very excited to see what he is uh but like you mentioned you know you've got options and you know that you've got options if things don't work out there in the future well alongside the quarterback in the backfield at the running back position Carolina lands one guy in this class. Looks like that's probably going to be all they're going to land unless they end up getting a commitment from Jonathan Paylor and they want to use him there. Uh, But for right now, Davian Gauss, uh, who committed back in March, it's been a while. He's another one of those guys uh, that many people may uh, forget is a part of this class. Um, you know, th- this is one that I Carolina's got to keep a lot of attention. There's there's a lot of guys committed in this class that, of course, Carolina, you know, you have to keep recruiting. I, I, frankly, at this point, with the NIL era, with Transfer Portal, you, you have to keep recruiting guys even after you land them, no matter what. But especially with Davian Gauss, this is a guy that plays for one of the best programs in the country in Chaminade Madonna Prep. Um, he, he's a guy that's going to be seen. He's got a teammate that uh, is committed to Ohio State, Jeremiah Smith, the five-star wide receiver. Um, and it's right in Miami's backyard. And we've seen Miami do this before. Um, they did it. Now, this is a guy that was from the state of Georgia. But we remember a guy that was committed to Carolina's last class um, that, that they, they swooped in and, and got, um, w- was uh, a guy by the name of Joshua Horton, um, from Langston Hughes high school out there in Georgia. They waited until the last minute. They have plenty of NIL money. They did exactly what Miami has been doing during the NIL era. And they immediately were able to flip his commitment. So that's one thing that Carolina has to be aware of here but Zach, I think to this point, you know, he stayed committed. Um, I, I feel like this is one of those guys, you know, I've seen some people that have tried to sort of downplay what he's done. They say he plays at a lower level of high school football in the state of Florida. Um, but we had, you know, a guy on that covers the state of Florida for us, uh, for, for USA Today, who was on with us earlier this offseason, that told us, yeah, don't listen to those people. They play a national schedule. That's not something to be concerned about. So he feels like he is a perfect fit for this backfield, but the Toriel staff has to do their work to hold on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you look at the position overall, it was obviously one that we mentioned previously. They have a good number of guys at, and even the coaching staff this spring has mentioned that they – you know, after having a pretty sizable rotation for a variety of factors, they want to shorten that. They want to get down to really a top two guys at that position any given year and sort of focus on that. So, you know, they've got a ton of numbers at that position, even at least for the spring, moving DJ Jones to safety temporarily. So and having British Brooks is sort of a, you know, a, a initially a walk on scholarship guy. So they're good there. 
even with, you know, guys that would exit the program, presumably they're still going to be good there in 2023, no matter how many they add. So, you know, getting a guy like David Gauss is really just icing on the cake. Now, like you mentioned, you know, right there in Miami's backyard, the state of Florida, not just Miami, but the other schools, um, you know, Florida, Florida State, even UCF have been very active recruiters, very active, you know, in in F or in in IL, excuse me, activity. So you always got to watch that. And especially at a high school of that level, it's not uncommon for, you know, whole high school groups to take visits to campuses and, you know, you never know what happens there. So you're definitely, it's definitely one that you're going to continue to watch. Uh, Really, you know, even though that it is overall a positive that North Carolina is stepping outside sort of their primary recruiting grounds in North Carolina, Virginia, it is something that you have to watch. Unless you're, you know, a team that's recruiting at a top, you know, three to five level year in and year out, national recruiting is going to be something that's that's going to be difficult and it's going to be something that you got to keep your eye out for so i i will keep you know i will sort of keep that watch over him but he's been committed i i I don't i haven't seen anything in regards to any additional visits this summer which would be you know the likeliest opportunity for him to do so now maybe he you know has a great season teams come calling we'll see what happens then but I feel pretty good about adding him just, you know, one more note at the running back position. Obviously they did recruit a few other guys mm-hmm. um, did not have those come to fruition. I don't foresee that as any issue. If anyone was concerned about that, like I said, numbers are good. So one to two, it's good either way. Uh, you can move on to that position until 2025 and see, you know, who's up next. All right, well, we'll save the wide receivers until the end here because we do have some news on that front that we're going to want to run you through in terms of their other targets there. But let's take a look at the tight end group. They bring in two guys in this class, Ryan Ward, Timothy Lawson, both guys that, you know, look, they're they're three-star prospects. They're not going to blow anybody away, guys that, uh, you know, Ryan Ward does rank outside of the top 1,000. Timothy Lawson, he actually just ranks inside. Or actually, no, they they just readjusted his uh, his rating. He is now outside of the top 1,000 again as well. Look, not mind-blowing prospects, but I still think there's a lot of upside. I I really like Timothy Lawson a lot. The biggest concern for me about Timothy Lawson is that he's going to go play baseball. Like this is a guy that throws in, you know, a, a 90 mile an hour fastball. Um, he, he's, you know, a guy that projects to be a future and a MLB draft prospect won't be one coming out of high school, but if he plays college ball, there's a lot of potential there. Um, and, and you run, you know, even Ryan Ward, I, I like what I see from him as well. Good upside, good body at 6'3", 240, already a good frame coming in, um, good blocker. So definitely, you know, a, a group of guys, Zach, that I think are going to help to restock a room uh, that Carolina, you know, they, they're really starting to see the fruits of their labor pay off in with the success that we saw this past year from Bryson Nesbitt, John Copenhaver, and Kamari Morallison. Yeah, absolutely. I think when you look at where this position stands overall, numbers are not huge. They probably have about, you know, four scholarship guys this year after the um, exit of Kendall Carr. And, you know, in terms of guys that they may lose, who's to say? I mean, it's it's a upperclassman filled room. Um, 
Kamari Morales could have a COVID year that he could use, but other than that is listed as a senior. Um, and, you know, you have John Copenhaver and Bryson Nesbitt eligibility at the junior level. Bryson Nesbitt, you know, getting some NFL draft shine here before the season. So we'll see, you know, how that goes and how, you know, he progresses there. But they're going to need bodies. And I think they did get bodies here in this class, obviously not sort of blow you away prospects. But uh, I think good developmental ones, both of these guys, uh, same as you, Timothy Lawson is probably the guy that I have my eye on the most not only for his upside um and just to add something to him i believe uh on three sports his own recruiting service bumped him up to a four-star prospect so an outlier at Ooh. this time but could be uh something that is interesting to come in terms of his skills and certainly you know reflects sort of the the high upside that we see there but you know baseball is going to be a concern in, in terms of uh this prospect along with other ones when you have baseball involved that's something that you're always gonna you know look out for in terms of where do they place their focus you know does the mlb come calling when they're a senior in high school uh does that become their focus once they get to the college level if they're trying to play both it's a hard balancing act if you're trying to you know in earnest play both sports even though it's a you know a fall sport versus a spring sport really playing two sports at the college level for anyone in 2023 is extremely difficult. So, you know, that's definitely going to be something to watch. I think the position overall is probably still in a pretty good position, but it, it'll definitely be one to see sort of how things play out. You know, if, if things go one way or the other, it would not be surprising if they try to see what they can find maybe in the transfer portal either this off season or the next, but you know, we'll just have to wait and see sort of how the chips fall at this position. There's, there's room for a lot of, a lot of movement, both, uh, I guess, positive and negative as far as, you know, the program's own interests are concerned. Yeah, I, I mean, and again, with a guy like Freddie Kitchens, hopefully he's going to be sticking around. Uh, it won't be too difficult to attract somebody in the transfer portal or, you know, a big name in the next recruiting cycle to that room. I, I still think they're in pretty good shape there. And that's real interesting on Lawson. I mean, I, I really do think, you know, his ability as, as a downfield threat at the tight end spot, it's there. I just, to me, I wonder if a lot of people really are holding it against him that he is such a highly rated baseball prospect and that they don't really think he's going to be someone that factors. And he also plays at a pretty small school um, in, in Bishop Barat in, in Fort Myers uh, compared to some of the other guys, but uh, definitely worth noting. Uh, you look at the offensive line for Carolina in this class and, you know, a pretty solid offensive line class. Remember, a lot of these guys were in early. A lot of these guys were lower rated prospects, but they've started to sort of garner some respect as, as things have gone along here. The biggest one, and he's almost a forgotten about piece of this class in terms of just his standing towards the top of it, is Andrew Rosinski, the offensive tackle out of Creekview High School in Canton, Georgia. Um, you know, he, he's a guy that's gotten some respect. He's creeping up uh, right near that top 500 that we talk about. Um, but I really liked him just overall, even when Carolina landed him, when he was a lower-rated prospect. Just love the way that he moves, love his pass protection. That's something that is desperately needed for Carolina. Uh, and then, you know, then you have some guys a little further down. You got another 
offensive tackle in the class, uh, Luke Masterson from Nashville, Tennessee. Another guy that I think projects really well. Both of those guys, by the way, things I really like about them, their body size, really, really good coming out of high school. Both guys over six foot six have the wingspan that you want, the length that you want, um, and, and 275 pounds. So guys that could potentially play uh, early if you need them to, but really high upside guys. Uh, Masterson, you know, sort of a road grader type offensive tackle that I really liked. And then you go to the interior guys. Um, and a guy that I, I always liked when Carolina landed, I told you for a while, uh, I thought was going to sort of swirl up some of these recruiting boards once they actually got a a good look at him was Aiden Banfield and it's you've you've seen it pan out now still a guy that's in the 800s overall um, but I really like him as an interior offensive lineman I I thought uh, he was exactly what the Tar Heels needed there and he pairs well with the guy that really fits you talk about the road grader that's what Desmond Jackson is he is an absolute monster um, will pile drive guys into the ground uh, in, in the run game. And you talk about body size, 6'5", 290, already built like the offensive lineman that Carolina want and uh, and 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 play uh, significantly in their offense. And with this being a, a potentially a more run-heavy offense in the years to come, you know, Zach, I, I think this group that they've got along the offensive line, it's definitely not as star-studded as ones that they brought in in the past, but I think there are some guys here. The highest-rated guy is Rosinski, who I like a lot, and then you've got some guys that I think have a lot of really good upside. This is a group you, you should be pretty excited about if you're a Toriel fan. Yeah, absolutely agree with you in terms of that. Uh, when you look at the position overall, uh, just in terms of where they're going to be after this season – I mean, they've got a number of guys that, you know, with either waivers or COVID or what have you, they've got a number of guys that legitimately just have this year of eligibility remaining. Mm -hmm. um, and then guys that are, you know, going to be, you know, uh, seniors, maybe with a COVID year, but who can say? So, you know, there's, there's a chance that they're going to lose potentially their entire offensive line. So not only just losing your entire offensive line, but, you know, five scholarships, maybe even six, depending on how things shake out. So, you know, I think that bodies at this position more than anything was really one of the most important things that they wanted to bring in. But when you look at what they have here, they have five guys really sort of fits the mold of taking a full offensive line. Now, can any, any of these guys play center? Who can say that's certainly something that you find out at the college level more often than not. But for all intents and purposes, they have two offensive tackles and an interior trio. So, you know, a makeshift sort of full offensive line. You've got the two tackles in uh, Andrew Rosensky and Luke Masterson, like you mentioned, sort of more developmental guys, but already in a good shape. Body-wise, you've got uh, some pretty good, you know, sort of road grader types in Desmond Jackson uh, and Jenny Norwood, as well as in Banfield. So you've got some options here, especially if you're moving more to, you know, a little bit more of a run-focused offense than we've seen previously under Phil Longo. Uh, really, one of the main things I want to highlight here is that basically all of these guys were handpicked by 
uh, new offensive line coach, Randy Clements, obviously, you know, new coach in this year. This will be his first year on staff, but is well regarded from his time at a number, you know, of programs, specifically in the state of Texas, uh, obviously at Baylor, uh, Houston, spent some time um, at Old Miss for a season uh, with Matt Luke, also a pretty well-regarded uh, O-line coach in his own regard before becoming head coach, was at um, FSU for a year and then was at North Texas with um, a previous coach and, you know, name that Tar Heels fans will remember in Seth Luttrell, uh, but a guy that is pretty well-regarded uh, despite sort of where his path has gone and, and one that, you know, really as an offensive line coach went under the radar, but in terms of this class and sort of how this offensive line class was built, it really felt like he came in and hit the ground running and picking the guys that he wants to bring in and develop and development specifically offensive of offensive linemen has been his big calling card. So I think that aspect in and of itself, not only his reputation as a developer of the position, but the fact that he came in and sort of immediately figured out the guys that he wanted and built a full class to fill that out. I think that that's something to be really excited about. Uh, if you're a fan of the Tar Heels and you want to see this sort of continuation of offensive line play, this sort of uh, a return to a physicality that you might not have seen in, in a while. Yeah, and you know, you talked about all the different places that he has been really since his stop at Baylor. You know, he's moved around a little bit. I really do wonder, uh, is, is this potentially, you know, a, a good thing for Carolina, especially for this year that he's been to so many places, he's had to establish himself very quickly. And everywhere he's been, the units have been at least solid, at least average or above average. Uh, and that's something that Carolina is looking for. Um, you mentioned it. I I put the class right now at four because the thing with Johnny Norwood, and this is where we'll transition over to the defensive line side of things, is we don't know exactly where he's going to play. So Norwood is a guy that has played for three years, actually started as a freshman uh, over at Eastern Randolph High School uh, in Ramsour, North Carolina. Uh, started there as, as a freshman along their offensive line and has really done some good things there. I love him as an offensive line prospect, but apparently he wants to play the defensive line. Now, here's the thing. If Carolina had landed another defensive tackle, don't think it's going to happen because Norwood, 6'4", 300, he's going to be a guy, no matter where he plays, he's playing on the interior, whether it's offensive or defensive line. But now... Carolina, you know, they kind of swing and miss on all of their other defensive tackle targets. Um, you know, they looked like they had Justin Terrell lined up at one point. They don't end up landing him. Marcus Downs apparently not on the table for Carolina. So they're kind of stuck with the group that they have. And look, they, they've got some talented players. I mean, Peter Pasansky is a guy that he's 6'3", 265. So for him... You wonder, are they going to use him at defensive tackle? Are they going to use him more at that power end spot? Or are they going to try to use him similar to how they have used Javari Ritzy, how they'll probably use Tamari Fox this year, which is sort of rotating him back and forth between power end and defensive tackle. Not something I really prefer. Would rather them sort of figure out where guys are at to let them focus on that and grow. 
but we'll have to wait and see. And then, of course, you got the two edge rushers uh, that are a part of this class as well, Zach. Uh, Daniel Anderson, who was the first guy to commit, he's really started to take off. You know, a guy that's now inside of the top 700, uh, according to 24-7 sports composite rankings, a guy that before that was not ranked. And he wasn't ranked for a while now. He is a guy that's in Germantown, Tennessee, which is kind of between Memphis and Nashville. So kind of a little bit in the middle of nowhere. I think he had to get some exposure at these camps. But a guy that really flashed when we watched him on film, uh, definitely a guy that I think uh, has a lot of upside. And he combines with another guy from the state of North Carolina that Carolina, I think, is really excited about, especially when you look at his numbers. And Curtis Simpson, another edge rusher, guy that sort of fits the mold of what Malachi Hamrick brought, extremely productive at the high school level, little undersized as well. But another group that I, I, you have to look at the upside. That's the big key to everything in this class, Zach, is the upside. But this unit looks pretty good overall, and it could be three guys here. It could be that fourth guy if Norwood decides to give it a go uh, on the defensive side of the football. But to be honest with you, I, I feel like Carolina's in a pretty good standing either way because it doesn't look like they're going to lose a ton after the season is over to graduation, uh, unless there is just a mass exodus in the transfer portal. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, when you look at this position overall, it's obviously one that they've recruited well, but similar to defensive back, it's one where they've been waiting on things to really crystallize into, you know, clear and consistent production, whether that be an issue with physicality or technique or whatever, it, mm -hmm. it's just not come together for this unit thus far. Um, now, with the addition of Gene Chizik as uh, defensive coordinator, we have seen things sort of coalesce into two, I'd say, somewhat key groups, or really three. Um, you know, there's defensive tackle, obviously. Generally, they're playing in, you know, a four-man front with two sort of true interior defensive linemen, defensive tackles. They have a power end, which you know, whether that be strong side defensive end, what have you, that can, they can play a little bit of, uh, you know, true defensive end, but also is a little bit of a, an edge rusher type. And then they just have a true edge rusher position at this point. So, mm -hmm. you know, you, you're, you're sort of mixing and matching guys, but, you know, at the very least, whether it be three or four guys, I would say all three to four of these guys are going to be developmental, but like you said, high upside. Um, I think that they had, other guys that they were trying to recruit that they, you know, were not able to get into this class at this time. Um, but also, like you mentioned, this is a, you know, a room that as the team stands currently, there's not a ton of guys that are, you know, that have to leave that are projected to leave maybe with good seasons, they might, but you know, there's a number of guys that will have, you know, that will actually that would still still have COVID years if they want to use them. Um, a good number of your guys have not used them technically, so would have that option. So you could see a number of guys come back. So, you know, maybe 25, the 25 recruiting class is more so one where there's this big push to get, you know, increased talent back there. It looks to be a little bit stronger of a class in the state of North Carolina. All that to be said, that's not to say anything, you know, negative about this group. It's just right now it's a little bit of uh, – not necessarily a mixed bag, but more that it, it's going to be a wait and see approach uh, for this defensive line class, as opposed to some of the ones that we've seen previously. 
uh, over the past few years come into the program. Well, then you go to the linebacker spot, and uh, this is this is a pretty loaded group. Now, some of these guys have dropped in the rankings. I mean, we've seen a steep fall for Ashton Woods, and I I, I just I got to be honest, I really don't know why. Uh, he's now a guy that ranks uh, outside of the top five hundred. Um, but I I think you know for the most part, this is still a a, a really uh, you know a guy a, a group that. Um, you know, with with Woods headlining it is in really good shape. You got Woods who is more of the new prototypical linebacker, a guy that can cover sideline to sideline. He can get downhill and make plays in the run game, but he can also drop back into coverage if needed. Uh, and then you've got the two guys that are more of those downhill old school linebackers, especially Cruz Law. I mean, that's the guy that's going to come into the box, stop the run. That's really going to be his strength. And outside of that, um, you know, th- there are some questions about him being able to drop into coverage. But then you've got Evan Bennett. Now, this is another guy committed way back in January. I think a lot of people have kind of forgotten about him, plays for a small school in Georgia, but he's incredibly athletic. He just ran a blazing 40 time, a 438 for a linebacker. Now, I mean, look, that was hand timed. So there's no telling that that's actually how fast he is, but still, I mean, this guy, this guy is athletic. We remember that from his time here. He is an aggressive player as well. I, I, I like this group and this is back-to-back groups, Zach, that I, I really like, you know, there were some questions I think about last year's group, Amari Campbell already standing out. He could be the primary backup linebacker for Carolina coming in this year behind Cedric Gray and Power Eccles. And it feels like this group is in very similar standing of guys that I think are being underrated a little bit and really have some potential to do things once they get into this room and and are getting coached by Tommy Thigpen. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Tommy Thigpen, in in terms of – you know, what this program has been over the past few years, I think he's been, you know, one of the mainstays, especially on that defensive side. It's been pretty consistent. And, um, you know, having the inside linebackers be one of the brighter spots of the defensive unit, whether that be, you know, Jeremiah Gimmel or Chas Rad, or then more recently, of course, Cedric Gray and Power Eccles last year. But really at this position, I mean, they had their top two guys playing 85 to 90% of the defensive snaps. Um, And I mean, it's not a position similar to defensive line where you're going to have quite that level of rotation, but you want to have a little bit more than they were having last year. So depth was obviously a huge concern. I think that they, if I remember correctly, had uh, injury for uh, uh, who was a freshman last year, Sebastian Cheeks, who will be Mm -hmm. a redshirt freshman this year uh, that limited that. So they're trying to get numbers here. They want to be a little more, a little bit more, you know, rotational at this position. Um, and I, I think that they are fine and, you know, they're not bringing in guys that are going to play day one necessarily, but there's, there's a chance for, you know, a number of these guys, both in the 23 class and then here in the 24 class to play early on special teams and then continue to develop as they learn the position, as they learn the defense. Um, I think with this 24 group, I, I mean, I think there's a lot, you know, that we like about really all of these guys, um, individually, you know, we, like you mentioned, saw some, you know, more of that modern day, uh, you know, full playing the field, you know, covering, 
getting guys in space from Ashton Woods, saw a little bit more of that, you know, old school mentality from Cruz Law. And then Evan Bennett was a little bit under the radar, obviously, like you mentioned, an early commitment, but one that, you know, has a lot of, I, I think, athletic versatility. Um, is a little bit longer listed at, at you know, 6'3", and looks long from what I remember on his film. So some vers- versatility, excuse me, there. So I, I think that they've got, you know, a, a good group of guys here. Um, not any that are going to be, you know, day one ton of snap sort of guys in terms of playing that inside linebacker position. But, you know, I don't think that was the expectation. I don't think that's, you know, the expectation at most places. So I, I think that it's a good group overall and one that, you know, on the whole, Tar Heel fans should be happy with. And, you know, it, it's pretty similar to groups that they've had a lot of success with in the past. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's talk real quick about the special teams. We won't spend much time on this group here. Uh, Lucas Osada coming in, um, guy that Carolina offered a scholarship to, punter. Uh, really like it, what we saw from him. Really strong leg. Um, you know, has has the power, the ability uh, to get some hang time on his kicks, everything like that. So I think that's probably the position he ends up. He also did some kicking in high school, but it feels like punter probably the position that he lands. And it makes sense with Carolina, you know, scheduled to lose Ben Kiernan after the season. There is some uncertainty there. Whereas at the kicker position, yeah, you bring in Ryan Coe. He's only going to be there for a year, but they did also add a transfer commitment from Liam Boyd. You may still have Noah Burnett in there. I know people are probably saying, well, do we really want to go back to him? Hey, look at what happened to Noah Ruggles after Carolina uh, ended up benching him for another kicker. So you never really know uh, what could come of that. So, uh, I, you know, you got him in there. Uh, one guy that did commit last week, and at the time I believed, and I think there were many people that believed this was a scholarship commitment was long snapper Grant Mills from the Cannon School in Concord. Now, he is going to play for Carolina, but it appears that I don't know if it was he got that he wasn't offered a scholarship. I don't know if Carolina, you know, then went back and told him, "Look, we're, you know, filling up here in terms of the scholarship players that we already have. We want to bring you in. We'll, you know, We'll give you some NIL money, but we're going to have to bring you in as a walk-on. That's something that you will see, especially probably with special teamers that teams like uh, more so now with with NIL uh, in place. So maybe that's the approach that they took, but it does not appear as of right now that he is going to count against the scholarships for the Tar Heels in this class. Uh, so really a, a pretty small group there, Zach. I think, you know, Sada is very interesting. But other than that, you know, it's special teams. We don't really talk a whole lot about it until something goes wrong there. Yeah, absolutely. Like you mentioned, I mean, a guy that could play punter or kicker. One more guy that I didn't want to mention at that position that was brought in, I believe this offseason, uh, Tom uh, Maganess, a, a punter from Australia. Um, a lot of history with Australian punters, not just in North Carolina, but overall. Um, so that's definitely one to keep an eye on. But again, you know, a number of these guys on special teams more and more are brought in as, you know, non-scholarship preferred walk-on guys. Obviously, you know, with NIL, you can sort of make things work a little bit different than you could in the past. But, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, special teams is almost a completely different game. It's connected to football, but it's very, very different. You know, it's 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 much harder 
uh, for someone that doesn't, you know, really, really play the position to, um, you know, to gauge. So it's hard to really know. It, it, it's one of those things, like you mentioned, it's something that you don't really think about till things go wrong. And then so much of it for, you know, punters and kickers is mental um, in, in terms of their preparation, their nerves, everything along those lines. So, you know, it, it's it's a guy that's on scholarship, you know, that's probably going to play punter kicker. So that is notable in and of itself. And obviously, like you mentioned, there were questions about, you know, long snapper edition here uh, with him potentially being on scholarship. But uh, yeah, not a ton to say about special teams yeah. on a whole, but, you know, you do always want to mention it and give those guys a shout out. They deserve it. Oh, of course, of course. And uh, the guy that you mentioned, Tom McGinnis, by the way, uh, who is coming over from Australia, he is actually a part of the team this year. He came over earlier this offseason, and he is going to be a part. I believe he is actually set to join them uh, here at the start of fall camp. Don't know how much he'll be involved. Hopefully not too involved this year because it looks like Ben Kiernan is going to be that guy again. But uh, he will be a part of that room moving forward. Good call on that one. And now let's talk about the wide receivers. And we save this till the end because we are going to talk really about the guys that are uncommitted. Carolina's got three big targets that remain uncommitted. The two guys in the class, look, we broke one of them down already for you earlier in this edition in Jordan Ship. Uh, back at the end of June, I got confused. I thought it was earlier uh, in July, but it was at the end of June when Keenan Jackson did commit. Um, we talked about him, you know, when we were breaking down Jordan Ship, big-bodied receiver, guy that really fits uh, what Carolina needs, um, you know, as a red zone threat, everything like that. Um, so that room is shaping up pretty well. Now there's three targets that remain. And these are the three uncommitted targets that Carolina is looking at in this class. And then that's probably it, especially if they land one or two more of these guys, I think Carolina might be done because you got to think they're still probably wanting to save some spots for transfer guys. If they land two guys in this class, they're up to 26 commitments. Uh, even with one twenty-five, that's still a lot. Um, so definitely something to monitor moving forward. But, Zach, you know, you look at these three guys. The first one, as I mentioned, that's going to commit is Alex Taylor. July 29th, Carolina, Clemson. It pretty much seems like it's down to those two. Uh, and now we do have a decision date for Jonathan Paylor. He will slot in just about a week after the decision is made from Alex Taylor. So I don't know if that decision could affect the Tar Heel standing, Clemson is not a team that's in the race at this point anymore for Jonathan Paylor. So the only team that would be affected would be Carolina. Um, and and then, of course, you got Javarius Green, who pushed his date back a month. A lot of people speculating that it is for uh, a family member, you know, to pay tribute to a family member, uh, which that was their birthday. Um, that, you know, would of course, make a lot of sense, especially if it is a date that is special to him. But it also sort of opens the door for the other two finalists that were in the running for him, Alabama, especially Alabama, if they can get him on campus the final weekend of July, and Michigan State, who he took an official visit to. So, Zach, you look at this trio of uh, receivers. I mean, we're we're, we're going to put Jonathan Paylor as a receiver. That's pretty much where it seems like he wants to play. A lot of people believe the reason why South Carolina is in such good standing with him is because they have sort of 
told him, look, you could be similar to what Debo Samuel was. Um, people also believe that NC State, who is the team that's seen as the number two for him right now, uh, they're trying to make the pitch that they could use him similar to how they used Naheem Hines a few years ago. Um, but Zach, interestingly enough with him, Carolina's kind of hung around in this. Remember when we were talking back in May, we, we kind of said, look, we don't really know. Carolina may not be in this recruitment much longer. Uh, they have not uh, get, uh, landed him, uh, landed an official visit with him. And then right towards the end of the month, Carolina ends up getting him to take an official visit. He sets it for June 2nd. Carolina sort of leads off the big month for him. And now there are some rumors that he could be one of the guys that is on campus for what Carolina calls the cookout. Every school does this now on the final weekend of July where they bring recruits in. They, some of them actually do a cookout. Some of them just call it that, host guys on campus. And there is a thought that he could be stopping by in Chapel Hill when Carolina is hosting that day for uh, these upcoming recruits. So this is, uh, I, I mean, that could be significant news and could really change the outlook of, you know, what we're perceiving it, it, the rest of this group looks like for Carolina and how things work out amongst this trio. Yeah, absolutely. Sort of along those lines that you mentioned, it's felt for at least a good while, at least in my opinion, that North Carolina, you know, although they have been nominally in it, that this seemed like it was almost uh, de facto done to South Carolina. South Carolina has been, you know, both the uh, sort of implied and even explicit favorite for Paylor, you know, throughout the spring and into the summer. Um, he's, he's not been shy about saying that himself. The impression that was out there um, was that, you know, they had a, a pretty um, – you know, convincing NIL package that would be a part of their pitch there that, um, you know, his other finalists were, you know, not looking to, um, uh, weren't looking to compete with. So it seemed like that this was done to South Carolina for the longest time, uh, but he hasn't committed. I mean, he's just now scheduled his commitment here in August. Now there's sort of word going around that, you know, he could be on North Carolina's campus on Saturday could potentially go to NC state the day before on the 28th. So seems like he's going everywhere, but South Carolina uh, in terms of what are his perceived sort of top three of North Carolina, NC state and South Carolina prior to this commitment. Is that gamesmanship on his part? Is this le legitimate, you know, sort of interest in the in-state school sort of making a final push. It's really hard to say at this point, mm -hmm. um, you know, in, in terms of his recruitment for the longest time, I, I sort of needed to see it to believe it in terms of him going anywhere other than South Carolina. But, you know, that door is open. And like you mentioned, North Carolina has hung around here. They got him on campus, you know, in the spring and summer. He's not eliminated them. I, I don't think that they've, you know, ever bowed out of the race for him. They've been up front with sort of, you know, what they offer and where they stand. And, you know, in terms of what they can offer in terms of, you know, production, I think they've got their own sort of, you know, list of good um, wide receivers and running backs that they can sell, no matter how much you, you know, 
want to put him in one position or the other. I think they could sell him in either. The wide receiver does seem to be at least his preference and Mm -hmm. what seems to be the preference of these staff. So I think that this could be potentially an interesting one to watch. I'm not really counting out any of these three schools at this point. Um, I I think that it could come down to the wire. I'm not going to, you know, necessarily say that I'm going to go off my prediction of South Carolina at this time, but uh, this will be one that I'll be watching pretty closely leading up to that August 5th commitment. And one that I'll be interested to see sort of if there are other decisions that affect his decision, uh, like you mentioned, prior to that date. So with this trio, Zach, I think this is the biggest question that a lot of people have with the wide receiver spot. Who do you feel the most confident in as we sit here right now on July 18th will be a part of the Tar Heel wide receiver class? Yeah, well, I mean, just based on what I said on Paler, I would not feel super confident on him. And then um, Alex Taylor, you know, we still don't know what his situation is he's mm-hmm. he's been you know pretty open about Clemson still being an option for him he's he said that they've not told him no and you know we can only take him at his word at this time as it relates to their pursuit so there's there's just not a lot of information on Alex Taylor at this point leading into you know what looks to be a a late July announcement I think July 29th um, so by default Javarius Green looks to be the one that I feel the best about. And I, to be honest, if they just took Javarius Green, I'm perfectly fine with that. I, I love his film. He is a little bit shorter. We'll probably project at the slot position, but uh, had a very good comer, uh, summer camp session. Um, ran a I, either hand-timed or laser. I'm not, I don't remember which, but ran a sub, you know, 4-4-40, I believe at Tennessee's camp. So in that sort of uh, 438-439 range, which is very impressive, um, Alabama had some interest. I don't think that they'll ultimately be the selection. I think it'd probably be between North Carolina or Michigan, but obviously with a month left, you never know. Of the three, I, I sort of lean towards green. I do think the decision was not based on anything that changed in his recruitment. I think it was sort of a personal family reason. So I feel the best about him. And if he's the only selection, that's fine by me. He's one of my favorite guys out of all of these guys, committed or uncommitted, though he probably does project exclusively as a slot guy uh, due to his size. Yeah, I, I I, I would probably – I, yeah, I would probably have to agree with you. I, I feel like there's just so many people that have told me even after he moved his commitment back that he, that, that it has nothing to do with the other schools. It's really just about the date. And I hope that's right. I will say this, this would be an interesting thing to revisit following on his front, because we'll already have the commitment from Alex Taylor, but It'll be interesting to revisit where things stand with him after that final weekend in July. If he comes to Carolina, that's the only school that he visits, which, I mean, you look at the other two schools that are are involved, maybe he could get to Alabama later in the weekend or something like that. I I mean, he could, I guess, technically do the same thing with Michigan State if he gets on a plane. Mm -hmm. But it's not going to be as easy as, let's say, what Paylor's doing, uh, according to some people, which is going to Raleigh and then visiting Chapel Hill. Like, that's – I mean, that makes a lot of sense. 
I I think that's going to be very telling. If he goes to Carolina, I think then you kind of know that this is this is a Tar Heel commit. Um, but if he goes elsewhere, I think this this could be open. So I'd lean him. I, I still feel somewhat confident though about Alex Taylor. I, I know that you know we we've heard that he is the guy that Clemson was leaving a scholarship spot open for. Um, I, I still think though, it feels like we would have heard more around him. I, I like. I, as far as I know, he did not take an official visit there. Um, so I I don't really know what Carolina can like. I I think Carolina has to feel pretty good about where they're at in in that race. So I feel like both of those guys, Carolina's got to be pretty confident. Um, it's just a matter of you know which I, I mean I I wonder really do, does Carolina. Do, do they do they feel like they fill up for one of those two guys? Like, is Carolina or are they going to cap out at, at at three wide receivers in this class? Are they going to say, "Look, we've got twenty five commitments overall in the class. We can only take one of you." If they don't, I think there's a good chance both guys are there. Um, I I still I'm I'm with you. I like the buzz around Paylor. I think if you're looking for the slot receiver, that's probably your perfect type of fit there he also can do so many different things that'd be a dynamic weapon to have but I still think South Carolina maybe you know I, I'm I, it, it is interesting that they don't think that he's going to visit South Carolina in that final weekend of July but hey maybe maybe the Gamecocks maybe he feels like they've laid everything out there that they have they put it all on the table already for him uh, and that he really doesn't need to take another visit there. Uh, the, the the biggest concern for me in that one as well is that Carolina is not even really seen as the number two in that race. They're seen as currently being in third place behind NC State, who is really making a hard charge. I mean, that's their – it is so obvious at this point that that is their biggest priority remaining in this class. And for Carolina, I, I mean, look, I, I would probably say on their board – they would prioritize Alex Taylor ahead of him. So I, I think that's probably what it looks like right now. But, hey, things can change pretty quickly, especially if Alex Taylor commits to Clemson. That door opens a little bit. South uh, Carolina could turn up the heat if he's on campus uh, in July. That that could really be their pitch. I mean, yeah, they, they laid it out there with their official visit, but that could really be a strong final pitch from the Toriel staff to Paylor if they don't get Taylor. So uh, we're going to keep you up to date on all of it. Over on the website, HeelToughBlog.com. That's the place to check out everything that you need to know. Guys, make sure you go back. Check out those commitment uh, articles from both Jordan Ship. And Malcolm Ziegler, I go a little more in-depth on those guys and what they're bringing to the table for the Tar Heels. Uh, we also are going to have an article that is going to go up. I'll uh, go through and put up an article uh, that sort of gives you the scouting report of each and every one of the guys that are committed to the class. Now, I'm going to hold off on that until we get the commitment from uh, Alex Taylor, whichever direction it goes. And that'll sort of be what closes out the month of July, sort of where things stand as we head into the month of August. So make sure you're keeping an eye out for that. And 
since we're going to have a little bit of downtime, we still have, you know, a little over, uh, you know, around 10 days until the commitment uh, of Alex Taylor. Uh, we are going to start putting out some of those position previews, the written ones that go even more in depth than we do on the podcast. So make sure that you are keeping your eyes peeled for that. Uh, and, you know, plenty of other uh, stuff as we head closer and closer towards the start of the season. Uh, camp kicks off August 2nd, so we'll have you covered with everything on the field for the Tar Heels in a crucial 2023 season that lies ahead. Basketball side of things, relatively quiet at this time. Uh, some guys, uh, of course, uh, on the EYBL circuit that the Tar Heels have either landed or that they are recruiting hard, mainly in that 2025 class. So we're keeping an eye on all of that. Make sure that you keep up with all the latest basketball stuff. You can check out all of that underneath the basketball tabs on the website as well as on the Four Corners podcast the sister podcast to this here podcast. So that wraps it up for this edition of the podcast. Once again, want to thank Zach Hubbard for hosting with me. Want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels. Hey guys, Anthony here. We want to thank you guys for listening to this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. If you could, make sure you head over to wherever you listen to your podcast, find out where you can rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast, and go ahead and do that for us. The rating and reviewing, that helps us to move up some of those rankings, and the subscribing, that is for you, so you don't miss any editions of the podcast coming up. We look forward to you being a part of the Heel Tough Blog podcast family moving forward, and thank you once again for listening to this edition.